questions. Where are we going with this? I have some great guests today that's going to help us sort through all of this. Let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Chew the Gum. I'm your host, Protocol. We talk a lot about a lot of things in this show. While we chew the gum, and just like every show, we always have something for your This latest episode of Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z while we chew the gum. This is the fourth part of uh, a series that we've been doing on back to school with COVID. Today, I have as my guest two very special people to me. I first have Mr. Franklin Edmond uh, from Northern California, Bay Area. Um, uh, Mr. Edmond is a counselor for juvenile hall facilities so he um, has uh, plenty of insights on assisting with social emotional learning and the develop and the development of juveniles i also have as my guest uh, miss andrea barasa who is a crisis case manager here in southern california i want to just say welcome to both of you to the show and thank you for coming on Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We have you here, Frank. Are you there also? Yes, I am, sir. Good to be here. All right. Absolutely. So before we get started, I I just want to to allow my audience to get a little bit more in-depth information about what it is you you both do. So I'll I'll start with you, Frank. As a counselor in uh, juvenile halls, um, tell us a little bit more about what that entails and, and what type of experiences you encounter with juveniles. Well, as a counselor at Juvenile Hall, you know, we receive many, many levels of ages from the young um, youth coming in from about 11 years old all the way up to 22, 23-year-olds that keep violating juvenile probation. So as my part I play is, for mental health stability and helping the kids transition from being out on the outside to being in a lockdown juvenile detention center and processing what they'll be going through through this process and try to make sure all of their needs get met from hygiene all the way to mental health services down to some of the uh, wants they may need from extra phone calls to their whole rehabilitation process. Sometimes it's a long-term stay, sometimes it's a short-term stay, but my job is to try to make that transition go through as smoothly as possible. Okay. All right. Great, great. And uh, Andrea, as a crisis uh, case manager, um, I'd ask you the same question. What what does that entail for for the audience that may not uh, have details on that? Well, um, my job is a little bit different in the fact that we um, specifically are here and design our services to offer support to relative caregivers. So a lot of times, you know, kids end up in the system and everyone immediately always thinks foster care. Well, this is kin care, which is a little bit different where it's, you know, for whatever reason, the parents um, are unavailable and they end up being taken care of by someone that is their relative, whether it's a grandpa 
and uncle, a cousin. And so what we do is based on an individual basis, design a network of community support for these families to help them create sustainability in their new home. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Now, all, all those are very important. And I don't know if you both were classified as essential workers during the pandemic, but those are definitely essential services. And um, I just want to say, I appreciate, you know, the, the paths that you both are on and, and what it is you do for our youth. And, and that comes from my perspective as a, a father and as a, a grandfather, really also, and, and, and as a teacher, understanding the situations that I see my students in. A lot of times we as teachers take on those roles uh, similar, but it's, it's um, always important that we have specialists like you two that um, are, are part of that team. I wanted to ask also, um, as it relates to COVID, you guys both have children in schools right now as well, right? Is that right, Frank? Oh, yes. High school, and I have a child, and I'm going into middle school. High school, so, uh, okay. And Andrea, you as well, correct? Yes, I have a brand new high schooler and also a fifth grader. And and those are going to be, I mean, those are in, important to me for this particular show topic, because on this episode, we're looking at now that we're back in school, um, there are many students who are testing positive for COVID. Um, we have uh, CDC guidelines that stipulate um, how we are to go back to school under certain protocols, you know, whether it's um, everyone wearing masks indoors uh, whether you've been vaccinated or not, the the social distancing, although I'm a bit confused as to to the distancing protocol that went from six feet to now three feet. Uh, but when students test positive, you have to notify everyone that was within six feet. Um, but there, so there are protocols um, that are that are uh, supposed to be followed. But yet we're still having so many positive tests. And I'm wondering, you know, what is it that that we can do better or should we even be in schools? And I think I'll 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 throw that question to you first, Andrea. Is there something we can do better? Should we be in schools? You know, what does this look like and, and, and what does this feel like from a from a parent's perspective? Um, you know, it was my opinion has really developed since COVID started um, at the very beginning. As you can imagine, I was in shock and um, just really trying to figure out what would be best for my kids in all areas, you know, socially, emotionally, physically, mentally, all of these things. And you, we had to take into account also their mental health as well. So we did elect for them to stay home for the duration of the um, quarantine um, and, you know, it had it where the school district ended up shutting everything down anyway. One of my biggest concerns was appropriate learning based off of the student and, you know, being a crisis case manager or a social worker in general, I base my interactions with people off of their individual needs. And I know and I understand as as educators, you know, for a large group of kids, it's really difficult to do that. So one of my biggest um, disappointments was that I ran into a lot of people that I knew who, like my, at the time, fourth grader, was struggling to learn on the computer because, you know, whether it was just general comprehension or computer literacy, she was struggling and getting lost within the different, you know, tabs and pages and assignments. And I, it kind of dawned on me, like, why, why would they not just do something like a YouTube live teaching session and let them do paperwork and turn it in we would have to go and pick up supplies or you know turn in the chromebooks or paperwork or even the food supplies that the schools were offering which was a huge help i didn't understand why that really didn't come up if it did why it wasn't utilized you know so that was a big question that i had um and looking how things are going now and with the delta variant it makes me nervous to put my daughter into that situation again where She's just going back. She's learning how to re-socialize. And now with this big um, kind of elephant in her world, 
of, you know, can I, you know, high five or shake hands or participate fully, you know, she's scared because she's not able to really fully enjoy and adapt to her new grade because of this. And so it makes me concerned, you know, really what is the driving force for having these kids in school or for not having these kids in school? You have to play like that devil's advocate role as well. No, absolutely. There's definitely so many challenges and, and intricacies that we have to consider, especially, like you said, um, dealing with students on, a, on an individual basis. And, and I'm a very big proponent of that. And it does present challenges, but we have to understand our students' individual needs in the classroom. And, and, and that's been my approach. Now, now in the Bay Area, Frank, have, are you guys back in school? Are students back in school now? Oh, yeah, we're back in school. It still has some kind of regulations and some are state, some are federal and some are local city and county. And sometimes you can get wrapped up in trying to understand how they all intermingle with each other because you watch TV and you see people without masks. And then you hear you call people that, you know, in other states, they're doing things different. And some of the people that are are more open to uh, not wearing the mask. Some people have less cases and then vice versa. Some people have more. So trying to analyze everything, uh, it's an um, exhausting task. But you just try to respect everybody's point of view, for one, and then try to, you know, just try to take a hold of your household. And when you're giving options, which we have very few options, but when we do have options, try to uh, make choices off of uh, facts and not uh, some of the things that are going around on social media. You have to really look at the facts. I believe in looking at the science because at the end of the day, if we try to go on everybody's opinion, we'll just go around in circles. So in the Bay Area, we are in school uh, with masks. And then also my my senior, my my uh, high school daughter, uh, my 16 year old, she has a she has a job, you know, uh, she actually just turned uh, 17. This is her senior year. She has a job. So. Her first job, she has to wear the mask at, her, at the job, and then she has to have uh, contact with uh, customers with the other adults. So she's transitioning and becoming into a, a young lady, and I just try to always remind her to respect everybody's opinion, and let's just try to wake this thing out because there's certain things we can't control. All we do is watch the news and try to react accordingly to what the information is being put out there. But like it was said, like Andrea said before, we always have to be aware of the mental health aspects because I have a little cousin and it's his senior year in a university and he's trying to get into the NFL. Last year he was with the Sooners and, uh, you know, it did affect him as far as it, athletics. And same thing to go with a lot of these high school students that are trying to get scholarships. We can't just, it's easy to say do this and do that when it doesn't affect us. But we have to take in consideration that a lot of these students, this will change the whole trajectory of their lives. So we do have to take that in consideration. And a lot of our students, our children, the, the kids that are locked up in our juvenile hall facilities, they are used to human contact. So it does take a while to get adjust, sometimes years, and sometimes the people putting out the actual information, they're not uh, in the IT field. So they're, everybody's fumbling around trying to figure this thing out. And by the time we figure it out, sometimes a lot of us have failed by the wayside because we try, so our, we're lowering the bar in a lot of areas. You know, we, we are, so we, we're having high school graduates that are not at the level that they need to be to be successful into these college, universities, militaries, or wherever they want to take their lives to. So that would be another thing that will be affecting us, us having to lower the bar with our students in high school, in middle school, and in elementary school. You brought up several uh, valid points, and and, and I want to I want to address address a, a few of them. Um, you talked about um, our households. Um, we have to be able to control what happens in our households. And, and that's true. I know my first day back uh, to school, um, I spoke to my students about, you know, we're we're, you know, in these classrooms and, and they're really like Petri dishes. 
for the most part, they're like, you know, it's an experiment and every period is an experiment. And so I was telling them, you know, we don't we don't know what everyone is doing at home. Some people, as you said, different opinions and different approaches. I think we have some some background noise somewhere. Different people and different opinions um, that come into play and into the classroom. And I was explaining to them that we have to be able to think about our classmates and our colleagues but we can't control. We don't we don't know what they're what they do in their home. So while some of us are practicing safety protocols to the highest extent, some others are feeling as if, you know, I'm OK. I don't have covid. No one in my family has covid. We're healthy. Our immune systems are good. And and so they will, you know, just freely go anywhere and everywhere and then come into the classroom. And some folks may be healthy and, and whatnot. They could potentially have a virus with no symptoms and they feel as if they're OK. Um but at the same time, they're passing it to someone who's not. And then it goes into the home. So that's that's the scary part of, of you know, the that my students expressed is not being certain of what everyone's doing so much. So um, there's there was a group of students that um, um, sent a letter out a football team, sent a, a letter out uh, a football team, a few other groups where they wanted to sit by themselves isolated from other students because uh, some students feel like you know we're together as a group we know the protocols we're following you know as you mentioned about scholarships in high school they they, they obviously uh, have plans to maintain the ability to play and to have scouts see them and so they and i could totally sympathize with 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 them wanting to do that and, and that makes it difficult um because all students need to be afforded that so you know, there's some logistics. Again, it's no one's fault and, and different schools and districts are responding differently. Um, you, you also talked about um, of states uh, having mandates or and then federal government policies and locals and whatnot. And, and it, it can be confusing because you see different states doing different things. In Florida, the governor is threatening to you know withhold salaries if, if districts um uh, uphold mandates. Um, some states, you know, are masked. California recently, the governor mandated that all uh, school employees and I believe healthcare workers are vaccinated or su uh, submit to weekly tests. Um, and so all the states, they have the right to um, administer their s systems of education in the way they want, because it's, it's not a federal thing. It's not a constitutional. Um, the federal government sometimes steps in, you know, with the carrot of you know money and resources and and if you follow their policies there's usually some money attached to it i, I think all of the levels are are well-meaning in how they are trying to approach this but then you have some individuals um I've, I've seen it firsthand whether it be teachers or administrators who know the policies who know that it's a mandate but you'll go into a class and see them without a mask on talking to students and and that that is the part that's confusing to me. I, I don't know how professionals, <clears throat> excuse me, whether they're healthcare workers or teachers, um, take it upon themselves to violate the mandates for the safety of all our students. You know, it, it doesn't set the right example. Right. Am I making sense, Andrea? Yes, it was definitely a concern of mine with um, my daughter going into high school, you know, because at that age, kids are just naturally rebellious. They're going to try um to see where they can find that gray area and if she's anything like me Mr. Kwanda you know <laughs> that she will be that one and and I had to have a very frank conversation with her that you know we all have our individual beliefs and practices but you are okay with going into school and right now they, these are the rules and I need you to follow them and not put us as parents in a position to go and you know support you in something that we're supposed to be doing really genuinely the opposite of you need to wear your mask I don't want to hear that you're getting in trouble over not wearing your mask but as a parent also there were huge questions of mine of you know what is to what level of discipline does this go with there's kids that are at home you know and they really are taught to think for themselves and you know act on their own accord but they go to school and there's this whole other culture that's being pushed in their face, you know, and I'm not saying I'm for one side or the other at all. I just, I always try to think about both sides and then even the third side, because it's, there's so many 
pieces involved, so many minds, so many things that are affected, you know, and I really feel what um, Frank was saying about lowering the bar. You know, my my fourth grader at the time, she was really, really struggling in math. We had taken the appropriate steps to establish um, a meeting for an IEP to get her support in these areas and COVID had hit and it just kind of fell through the cracks and the result was her just not being graded on the math standards that were set in the classroom, but just to complete individual math exercises with the teacher separately, which I was so appreciative of because she really was behind in math. Um, but I, I did feel that, I guess, lack of follow through on the district's part. And it's really unfortunate because I'm someone that, you know, growing up, I didn't enjoy school. And, and it wasn't until I had my encounters with you, Mr. Kwando, or like other teachers like, you know, Coach Fox and, you know, people that really stepped in and allowed me to genuinely learn how to enjoy my education. And so being a, a new parent and trying to set a different tone for these kids to show them that education is the access to to a wonderful life, you know, and um, something like this world pandemic happens and it feels like education and the appropriateness of it, you know, how it's distributed, the, the, just the all around care for the educational aspect was just not taken into consideration. It was more so I feel about managing the crisis from a financial standpoint. And that's not something that I want to teach my kids. Sure. Yeah, it's it's always an issue of, of follow the money. I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. You know, in, in my class, you know, because we, we, we do, even in my class, I teach students to question everything, right? Don't Not in a disrespectful way, right. but to do your research and question. Right. And we teach them to be independent thinkers. And, and so we, now we have these mandates. And if you're here, you must, you must. And, and I've, I've tried to put a, a human spin on it. Uh, of humanity in my class to to let them know, hey, you know, we're we're all here together. And as you know, my class right. is always a safe space for everyone, regardless of race or ethnicity or or social and economic status, religion. It's a place for for all students to dwell and to develop themselves. And and so I, I apply that to even the COVID policy of saying, hey, you know, in, in this situation, we're not asking anyone to give up their rights as individuals, but to understand that it's going to take all of us if we want to stay in schools, it's going to take all of us to to sacrifice just a little bit. Just like I mentioned before, if you go to a stop sign, you know, everybody wants to go, but we, we give up a little bit of that right. freedoms for the safety of all. And so if we can, you know, give up a little bit just for the safety of others, perhaps we're here and, and we don't know, you know, some families are highly susceptible or have members at home that are at risk. And we can't just go about not caring about them. So can we, you know, sometimes in, in these areas just give a little so that we can, you know, get a little bit more. And and I know it in my class, you know, usually my doors open, everyone comes in. But now I'm, my door is not open. It's locked and everyone is outside. And, and we're ensuring or I'm ensuring that, you know, everyone mask on over the face, over the nose. You know, I come up with little, with little jingles so they remember. And, and so they've been very receptive and they and they understand that. But and it's just like mm -hmm. every other year, you know, rarely during the first two weeks do we jump right into the curriculum. It's about building the classroom culture, relationships, getting to know each other. And in this case, we've had to mm -hmm. infuse some of these, you know, reminders about safety. So it's, it's been, you know, embedded. And so it, so hopefully that it, it come becomes automatic in the classroom. I personally have had, you know, losses in my family. I've mentioned before, um, which you know, it's not a comfortable thing. And so I'm doing all I can to protect myself and my family that, right. we, that we go home to. And you guys have, you know, a uh, family that you go home to after we've encountered. So it, it is difficult and, and it's a lot to process for anybody. And I, I think, you know, the, the best thing that we can do, whether we are teachers, admin or legislators, is to come together and make collective as my guest last week said democratic decisions where everyone all stakeholders are involved to be able to voice concerns and and approaches that might work you, what we can't have is 
single individuals making the decision for everyone. And I think that's where some people feel a little bit violated is that they're just being told what to do without being consulted. Right. And I think if we can show the respect to others, as Frank said, you know, respect the opinions of others. You know, sometimes it's just about I, I need to be heard. You know, we all have gone right. through something traumatic and need to be heard. And it, it brings to mind, Frank, in juvenile hall, you know, you, there's a, a transition element where you have some students coming in and going out. And how how are you guys acclimating students to this new environment within juvenile halls in terms of protocol and, and the day to day operations? Well, education is one thing, and then the actual quarantine is another. Everybody that comes into juvenile hall has to go into a 14-day unit with a maximum uh, unit population of 10. So once you've received, once you've received 10 youth in that unit, it has to close. And that group would be together until they've completed 14 days and passed two COVID tests. One uh, coming into the actual uh, facility and then one uh, before they get transferred over to a regular unit. Now, while they're in the quarantine unit, they have to do uh, a lot of computer online stuff, and then they can actually transition after that 14 days without any symptoms and a second uh, negative test, they can go into a regular unit. And then they'll have more hands-on and face-to-face with the teacher. Now, if a person does come a positive, then that that process is a lot more stressful. They may have to get isolated in the infirmary or clinic, or they or if it's too many positive, which we have had, we'll all have to have an isolation unit. So they'll rarely come out their room. They they'll be given um, sometimes like a laptop to kind of watch a movie just to kind of transition through, and they'll be heavily monitored by counselors, um, and then also um, medical staff. And we all have to gown up. We all have to wear the, um, the different type of mask, depending on the exposure or the positive test. And it can be a little bit face mask. It's, it can be a little bit stressful for the youth and for the actual uh, the staff that are working with that youth. Kind of reminds me of that scene in, in the old movie E.T. when everybody was masked up and <laughs> everybody had the ventilators on and you know and then you're you're the you're the kid just looking at everybody like wow I feel like I'm in a zoo in our like you said before a science experiment a petri dish they're testing me they're taking readings they're constantly taking temperature checks asking us for our symptoms and uh you know so it's been a learning experience uh and for the most part, uh, within my home, luckily I've been blessed financially, so it didn't have to, it didn't affect me as far as the financial aspect. But um, I, but as far as juvenile hall goes, it's similar to the outside. We're quarantining, and it's a little bit more. Uh, actually, um, it falls in the perimeters where we can kind of like actually observe it and get it under control a little bit better in the facility because we're they're mm. under surveillance 24 hours a day so we know mm-hmm. their temperatures they no we know their test results so we have it under control in the juvenile uh, detention centers and like you said before if you are a staff that is not vaccinated they can't make you get vaccinated but they can be they can make life so uncontrollable where and unbearable where if you miss your two tests a week you can't come to work. Right. So it's, it's those type of things where we're not going to tell you to get vaccinated. We, we can't make you get vaccinated, but we can make your work experience so uncomfortable and so draining where you're using your own vacation time, your own sick time, that it would probably be a lot more uh, comfortable in your own lives to go ahead and uh, get vaccinated. And that's right. not coming, coming from me personally. Um, I, w- you know, I would, I would hope that everybody would be able to trust the vaccine, but I don't like to get in back and forth with the arguments for the conspiracy mm-hmm. theories, what may happen with you, uh, when one person died, one person was shaking uncontrollably. I, I mean, I really don't have time to go back and forth. All I can right. do is, uh, if you ask me, I can give my thoughts, but I don't give unsolicited uh, advice on what people should do with their own health and who should get who should and who shall not should not get the uh, vaccination 
Right. You, you brought up some great points. I, I would imagine, you know, in a controlled environment, you know, unlike the school system, there there's already mechanisms there to, you know, secure populations and isolate. You brought up another point. I'm a little embarrassed to say my, my family, they may hear this. My, my wife and kids, they'll hear this. They've told me for years, but I've never seen E.T. I'm probably the only person in the world. <laughs> So when you mentioned that, I was like, uh-oh, here we go, because they've, they've said for years, you've never seen E.T.? I was like, no, I've, and I have it on, you know, different, you know, media formats, VHS, from back in the day, Laserdisc and DVD, and, you know, I've, I've never seen it. i got I got to watch it now, so I'll know, and uh, I never thought I would admit that publicly, but uh, I've never seen E.T. We're oh, gonna yeah, that, that's, that's one of the greats, man. That's like, uh, I, and know, I know it have, is. They they ask me, are you even American? Are you are you human? What what is what have you you've not seen E. T. Oh, yeah. There's like and my daughter's like it's Reese's pieces. I I've had plenty of Reese's pieces though. <laughs> We're gonna take oh, yeah, a quick that, break. That, go ahead, no, go okay, ahead. No, I'm saying that's that's the birth of Drew Barrymore as a child. It is growing up. That's like saying that I've never seen Ghostbusters. That's just one of the uh, okay, classes wait. of growing. I gotta I gotta stop the you Goonies. there. Wait, Drew Barrymore, that that's poltergeist, right? That's not E. T. I've seen poltergeist. Right? So yeah. so bef- before she was that, E. T. She also was in, Oh no. In E.T. Oh, as, as, a, as a little so. girl. <laughs> right. Oh wow. See, I, I I gotta do it now. I, it'll probably be this oh, weekend. Yeah. Oh yeah. Top Top Gun, Stand by Me. I've seen all those. Look, I've seen everything else. I've seen everything else, just not ET. <laughs> Trust and me. I, and on the flip side, Nightmare on Elm Street Part One. Those oh. are some of the uh, growing up type yeah. of. Uh, I've, I've, see, I've seen. I've seen. Uh, all those except one. There's another one. Oh, I, I haven't seen Close Encounters. Now, we, this would be a different show. I start talking about all the things I haven't seen, but I haven't seen <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind in, in ET. I, I don't know what happened. We're going to take a quick break. Um, you're listening to Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. I have as my guest crisis case manager Andrea Barraza and juvenile hall counselor Frank Edmond. We're talking students back to school with COVID. We're providing insights and answers. I hope you're enjoying it so far. We'll be right back. Do you have a business or just an idea for one? Check out our friends at affordable websites. They're your one-stop web solutions provider. Whether it's domain registration, social media integration, mobile-friendly designs, affordable web hosting solutions, e-commerce web solutions, marketing, maintenance, site monitoring, affordable websites, they do it all. Since 1996, their professional team has helped thousands. With a Better Business Bureau rating of AAA+, affordable websites is someone you can trust. Anyone can build a website. At Affordable Websites, they build online businesses. Check them out at affordablewebsites.net. Tell them we sent you. Thank you for listening to our sponsors. Uh, We're back with our discussion with Juvenile Hall Counselor Frank Edmond, Crisis Case Manager Andrea Barraza, and myself. So, Folks, I want to jump back into this conversation about uh, positive testing. Um, we, we've talked about the difficulty to families in terms of not knowing what's going to happen or the anxiety that that many folks have that are working that have to return home to families. Right. And the uncertainty of what other families are doing to support the safety of our students when they're in class. Um, over this past week, I, I was just p- catching a few headlines about um, situations in various states for, and, and I don't say this to alarm people or to be depressing, but, um, these are just some things that are happening. Um, in Mississippi, there were thousands of students that have tested positive, uh, since schools have reopened. Um, in Florida, there were, uh, Broward County, Florida, um, four, uh, school employees, well, three school employees and one associated um, were, have passed on from, from COVID after returning to schools. Um, as I mentioned before, I don't know if I mentioned it online, but there are positive tests happening in my school to where I've had to quarantine. 
Uh, I've, I've seen that some schools have dashboards where uh, the public or parents can go and look to see, you know, how many students are testing positive, etc. But then there are other schools that are not reporting at all. In fact, I had a guest that was going to come on. There were there were two uh, additional administrators, but one was saying, you know, they wanted to come on the show, but they were given orders for lack of a better term to hush it up, not to discuss, period. Um, I, I know a lot of conversations have been not to discuss these things. Um, and and I've, I've never seen where a problem was solved by not discussing it as if it's going to go away. And I'm just wondering, do parents um, have a right to know? And, and I'm not talking about the parents of students that may have been exposed. For example, CDC guidelines, a, a positive test happens. Um, a student shows symptoms. They isolate the student away from everyone else um, in a room, mask up. It's similar to the process you talked about, uh, Frank. Um, parents are notified that student has to quarantine at home for 10 days. P uh, uh, families of students who were within six feet are notified that there's a potential exposure and they're quarantined. I believe they can return if they have a positive test or two positive tests. But again, what about the families of students who were not within six feet? Um, what about, you know, just the general public? I, I may be moving into a neighborhood and I'm looking for a school. Do we have a right to know the number of positive, uh, case a positive test of COVID for students and staff is that something that should be um we should be informed about andrea um you know i'd have to say i'm really not sure even as a parent i'm, I'm not sure i would want to know because this last round i have to admit i had to choose to kind of just distance myself from all of the news and the posts and just everything regarding media and COVID because it was really overwhelming for me. I do have a lot of high-risk family um, members in my immediate family, um, as well as essential workers. My Almost my entire family are considered essential workers or first responders. And so I had to really take into consideration my mental and emotional health and me being in the right place for my kids as well. And, you know, experiencing my daughter going to high school was such a such a... A major step in itself but to add COVID on top of it and her coming home and saying you know oh well this t this kid um, is quarantined now because in school um, in their period they had an exposure and then it just made me think okay in their class they're mandated to wear their mask you know their the desks are I'm sure appropriately set apart but what about in passing period when they're not mandated to wear their mask and they're giving hugs to each other and Yes, in that one classroom, the exposure was identified, but how do you translate that for parents of kids that have friends of kids that were in that class? And, you know, everyone's giving hugs and, you know, fist bumps and all of these things. And it's like it doesn't stop in the classroom. So what else is there? And it just kind of like um, just being kind of left out to dry and figure it out as we go. And I understand there is a component to that where it is so open ended because we haven't had to deal with this in our era. And um, it just makes me so uncomfortable as a parent because I'm trusting my wealth, my welfare of my child to the educators but it's also something that we as a community as a society as a whole have to take responsibility for and i feel like there's such a emphasis on the politics and the divide and who's right and who's wrong and where it originated from and i'm of the opinion that i don't care where it came from i personally know that the symptoms are real and even if it was just a cold or a flu i'm gonna do what is necessary to support my family's health Period. And I just feel like there's as adults, just as adults from a, a base point of adults taking care and having responsibility as minors, there's just not enough en emphasis on the child's well-being. And I think if there was, it would show in the results. It would show in what we're doing, how we're planning, how we're being effective moving forward. You know, absolutely. No, great points. And, and and I agree to your point that the, the news over the past 18 months to almost two years, it's been it has been overwhelming, especially for for I would I would say for anybody, but especially for people that have been personally affected with loss. And, and it's, it's just there all day and, and all night. And um, 
it's unprecedented and so it can be overwhelming so i don't blame anyone that is like you know decided to you know what i'm going to tune out i need to tune out you know i'm going to be safe and do what i need to do but to tune out but that's why I wanted to bring up the point of, you know, this high idea of back to school. And, and we are seeing these things as much as we I don't want to see it either or, or talk about it so much. But as much as just happening, I feel like the more information that can be put out in discussions that can be had, individuals are able to see different perspectives. Right. Um, I told some folks that I, I lost family members and they're like to COVID. They, they're like they're shocked that people are dying from COVID because maybe they haven't believed it's true. And like you said, you know, the symptoms are real and and, and it, it's it is difficult and it and it is overwhelming. Um, again, in, in the juvenile hall system, it's a little bit more of a controlled environment. And so I, I don't know. And, and, and Frank, if you are able to tell us or not, I, I don't know. But our uh, parents or guardians uh, being notified um, when there are positive tests um, are uh, is that something that's considered in terms of uh, if a student is um, directed or sentenced to juvenile hall by the court system? Are the courts aware of the numbers of tests and, and which halls are, are, are safe to go to? Are those considerations or conversations that are happening? Yeah, so we're, we're using technology a lot. Uh, Zoom has played a big part in juvenile hall life, just like as in everybody's life as well. So when we do have a positive test, uh, pretty much the medical staff takes control. And we keep in mind that the HIPAA laws do exist. And they that's when they drive the ship. We have to trust our medical staff that are working over time that are trying to figure out things as we go but we have to they have to understand that we're looking at them for guidance so that can be a stress upon itself with so much pressure has been put on the medical staff for things they may have not been trained in school for so we just have to have patience and as far as the parents the parents are always known the juveniles have more rights than adults and we have to try our best to make sure those parents know that we have their children. We're treating them like they're our own children, if not better. And we'll uh, keep them informed all the way through this. And, and we would never make them feel uncomfortable for calling too much. We will actually probably call them more than they call us. And we will always give them reports. We always have it documented their current temperatures taken multiple times a day and they can call and get any of that information to make the transition uh, more easier. And they, they also understand that by, like you said, by it being a controlled environment, we can monitor it because we have nursing staff 24 hours a day and we have doctors during working hours. So it's it's one of the best places you could uh, get to deal because we know with kids that have been through that 14 days. So if a kid does come positive in a unit that's been fully quarantined, nine times out of 10, it came from the staff. And then we have to uh, find out, you know, and as far as staffing goes, we have to test at least two weeks if we're vaccinated and uh, one week if we're uh, not, not vaccinated, unvaccinated. So uh, we're, we're walking through this. We're trying to figure it out, even though it's been here for a while. We can always improve. We have the new rapid test that we can get the results back faster. And it has evolved into uh, just over the short time we've been dealing with COVID. Look how fast the tests are coming back. We have we do have less cases uh, and that can be because we have more information now and because of the vaccine. So. Uh, we just have to work together. We're going to figure this thing out. We're all in a roller coaster and we're riding it and hopefully uh, it stops and we have a happy ending at, 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 the, at the end of this uh, pandemic and we can go on with our lives. No, I, I love it. I, I love the approach you continually emphasize together. We're in this together. And, and that's something that I would like, you know, my, my colleagues and, and personal friends and, and my audience that, that are listening here now. 
Um, by the way, just really quick, this is Let's Chew the Gum, the podcast where we talk about everything from A to Z. You can find this podcast uh, here where you're listening, but also anywhere fine podcasts are, are downloadable, uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spreaker, Podbean, uh, wherever you can simply Google it. And again, be sure to email us with your question and comments. We always love and we respond. I personally respond to all of them. And you would email let's to the gum at gmail.com. Um, again, this idea of together, we, we're in this together. It's going to take all of us. You know, no, no one of us individually is smarter than us or more informed than the collective. So I, I appreciate that. Um, speaking of, of together, um, and, and I don't know if this is the right transition, but I, I recently discovered that uh, one of the largest school districts in the country it may be the largest or second largest LA Unified Los Angeles Unified School District they now have it where everyone is tested at least weekly I believe uh, whether they are vaccinated or not some schools are if you are vaccinated you don't have to quarantine if you're vaccinated you don't have to test but LA Unified is taking it a step further beyond the mandates of the state and are requiring all, um, I think it may be just employees. I'm not sure if it's students. I'd have to double check. But they all have to take weekly tests. And, and I think that's important. And important because, as you mentioned, you talked earlier, Andre, about just the Delta variant. And we've heard news um, over time about how the uh, folks who are even wearing masks or folks who are vaccinated are still contracting the virus, um, uh, the Delta variant. And so... I think that's a, an important step that I don't I don't know why all schools wouldn't. Um, I think the funding is available, whether it's federal or state funding to be able to, to have everyone tested. Now, and, and, and again, also to your point, Frank, about respecting everyone's wishes. I'm not sure everyone wants to be tested. Right. Um, in, in that right. matter, if, if that's something that's attractive. And um, but but, you know, we, we have to try. So I, I don't know what what are your thoughts about that, Andre, in terms of. You know, the, the families maybe that you encounter um, in, in your work, um, you know, what what how type of pulse would you would you feel on that topic? I'm sorry, you said what type of. Pulse? Yeah, I'm just saying, like, like, how do you how do you feel? Or what's your perspective on this topic of, of everyone um, uh, being tested or uh, 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 testing mandates for everyone, whether they're vaccinated or not? Um, you know, I, I feel it's funny because my, my husband asked me this question the other day, you know, if, if it were a mandate and if it was not an option for you, would you still get the the vaccine? You know? And I told him, I said, you know, I'm really not sure because I, I have a lot of opinions about the United States. Um, but my biggest, one of my biggest um, pride that I have, my biggest pride that I have is my choice, my freedom of choice. And so I have to take that into consideration as, you know, a female, as a minority, as a parent, as um, an essential worker in the in the mental health field and in human services. And so when it comes to the testing and um, what the options are as far as, you know, do we test our kids every single day or every single week? I know one of my brothers he he works in the correction facilities and um he has to get tested every single day you know and at first it was something that kind of bothered him and then moving forward you know it was something that he just kind of got used to and i think that that was one of the biggest factors is that this entire thing while it's a financial shock and a social shock it's a culture shock in general it's just this new thing that we kind of have to get used to and i think humans in general like even though we should adapt well to change and development we don't really because we like to do things our way we like it in our comfort and when you place all of these things that are going on on a mass scale with such restrictions and such mandates that affect our our household or our individual selves it's really really difficult to say for me personally yes or no you know, because I, everything is constantly changing. It's not just this pandemic. It's it's everything. You know, I have kids going through different things outside of this. I have me personally, you know, I'm a returning. Uh, I'm a full time mom returning back to work after two years. 
um, and wanting to be able to meet with my families and work with them and have to ask those questions like, you know, are you feeling these symptoms? And then having to fill out the um, screening process or not being able to enter my office but have to stay outside the door and have a conversation that is very personal for them outside of a door because if they don't want to wear a mask or if they're not vaccinated or they haven't gotten a test this week or, you know, so it's all of these things that affect services that affect a human's well-being in all of these scales and it's it's i have to say over everything it's just so frustrating <laughs> no sure it, it is frustrating and you know one one of the the complications i don't know, know if it's a complication but but one of the maybe it's more of a dilemma that i face is you know my my personal freedoms as you mentioned and my professional obligations you know, as a as a as a teacher, I'm always saying, you know, I, I teach the students that come through the door. I don't I don't teach the students that I want to teach or whoever comes through the door. And in and, and this situation with a, a pandemic, you know, there are requirements and mandates that I may not necessarily like or want to adhere to in my personal space. Although I probably do. Um, I probably was yeah. <laughs> mandating myself before I didn't need a mandate. I was mandating myself. But. Right. When when I when I when I enter the professional realm, you know, it's all about everyone else. It's about it's about everyone. It's not about me. And and I'll take it back again. I, I was talking about some uh, workers, whether they're teachers or healthcare or whoever, that are not following mandates or that know the mandates and know that we're trying to get students to be safe and follow mandates, but they aren't setting that example. It's difficult for me to wrap my my head around. I, I want to know the science. I, I I almost want to go and talk to them and say, "Hey, tell me why are you so? Why do you feel so secure to be unmasked in a group of I don't know thirty forty people in in closed doors? Even though we have you know air systems, I, I, I'd like to know. I'm, I'm wondering if there's something there that's going to make me feel more comfortable um, because I see it. Yeah. So 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 then. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I get what you're saying. It's like share the goods. What is it that you don't know that's working for you that possibly could work for me? Right, right. Is there was there some special vitamin or something? You know, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to know. Um, it, but I, I, I'm really, I'm really intrigued by Frank the the information you're sharing about the approaches in juvenile hall. It, it never occurred to me um, that they may be a step ahead and and I, this may not be for every juvenile hall. i would imagine it would be but it never occurred to me um that in public education perhaps um we could look at some systems there that are proving beneficial and, and potentially more effective to model for our own you know for the most part in schools we're, we're trying to avoid students going to juvenile hall never did i think to let's look to juvenile hall for the for the model or at least the model in the way that you're explaining it now is this something that um, is coming from uh, state levels or are you guys as a staff, you know, having conversations about how to develop these things and how to go about it? I mean, I, I feel in my county, uh, Santa Clara County is, is a step. Of, uh, we're pretty much we're trying to trendset the way we deal with many things as far as juveniles are just juveniles that transition into adulthood but are still young adults so we're starting to house young adults as well we are uh, a few steps in front of everybody um, as far as respecting the the lgbt community we are just trying to be trendsetters in a lot of areas and as far as also as far as um everything that's been going on in the world with um the george floyd incident tragic incident and we've just been trying to as far as asian hate black lives matter we've been trying to communicate with each other and try to demonstrate as a whole that because you're working in an area which is considered law enforcement we can be connected to the community hmm. you know as far as covid law law enforcement dealing with a lot of aspects so we're trying not to follow the blueprint we are trying to uh, design and be the leaders and have success where others can follow and like i said we do have a controlled environment and at the end of the day you know we just have to respect everybody's opinion 
and try not to force uh, our way on everybody's way. But at the end of the day, just try to be good people. And that pretty much like summarizes it. Try to be good people and work well with others. Even when we don't agree, we can still be respectful and still try to see some type of uh, put ourselves in other shoes. Try to see it from there and respect their ways and uh, trying to move forward. That is a that is a great model. And I say model, not M-O-T-T-O, but model, M-O-D-E-L. That's a great model to follow. You know, um, I've heard it called, you know, just the don't be a jerk rule. At the end of the day, don't be a jerk. Right. It's, but but it, it still is a service. You It's, it's providing a service, whether it's um, uh, discipline or detention. It, it's still a service. And, and it sounds more like um, a service is being provided more on a restorative justice type model as opposed to a, um, a more of a, 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 what do you call it? Punitive uh, model. Um, Andrea, it, I, I don't know if you're working from home or, or if you, Oh, go ahead. Not, not to me to cut you off, but uh, and just to go back on that point, we do have to make it convenient. Now I know at my job, we have it where the nurses are set up right by the entrance in housed in our uh, facilities where they're there with their computers giving a rapid test that results come back within 15 minutes because with some 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 youth and staff everybody doesn't have the adequate uh time or resources as far as insurance and everything to continue to get these tests and not all tests are free some people do charge for the last minute emergency test oh my god i have to go to work they won't let me come to work without a test and that's another stressor that i hate to see people deal with to say that they got the call right before work saying i can't come to work because i have i don't have an updated test so if we have career or if we have certain jobs in departments that are requiring us to have these rapid tests back to back Maybe they should meet the the workers halfway. And why don't you set it up right at the entrance to the job so they don't have to fumble around and trying to get make sure their insurance is right or trying to uh, find areas that may need to be. Today is Sunday. It's hard to get a test on Sunday. And right. people have to be at work Monday morning. If they, don't have a, if they don't have a test, they might have to miss that one day. And to some of us, one day at work, oh, what's one day at work? Sometimes that one day at work may be making rent, maybe somebody's uh, to be able to eat. So we have to stop comparing our situation, those of us that are more blessed than others, and try to have empathy for those that are barely getting by. And their job is telling them that they need a test or they can't come back to work. So imagine them, they get a 40-hour week. They may have two days knocked off the work week, mm-hmm. and they might not be making their rent payment. And now they're talking about making it where the forbearances are starting to uh, disappear, and they want people to pay their rent, and they want people to pay their mortgages now or take the risk of being homeless. And those are things we forget about when we are secure in our living Wow. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, Frank, we're, we're, we're for both of you, we're, we're going to be having coalitions and committees of, of individuals that, that can help to resolve some community problems. I'm definitely going to tap into you guys to, you know, be a part of that conversation. Um, it, it, it just it just makes sense. And, and because I'm talking to sensible people, I, I love that. Um, Andre, I was going to ask you, I don't I don't know if you are working from home or distance or are you um, at a facility, and if so, at your facility, um, how are the the protocols uh, similar to what's happening in schools, or what it, what protocols do you guys follow that schools may be able to implement to improve or secure their own protocols? Right now, I have been afforded the opportunity to work um, in a office space that provides me my own space, um, but. When everything hit, I do know that they were allowing everybody to work remotely and utilize the telehealth system. Um, In my past experiences, I I did also work in a residential campus um, for female offenders. And um, before that, I was working in the community in the field where we would go and we would work um, in the homes, in the schools, in the juvenile uh, detention centers. So... I, I've known or I've heard or have experienced a lot of people's 
um, different experiences of how it's affected them and providing just services, genuine individualized services to the community members that they're serving. And it's, it's really, really difficult because they have to, at the same time, tap into what it is that these these um, family members or clients are are telling them that they need or are struggling with and really empathize and identify with them in the moment at the very same time being concerned for their safety. And so when the when Zoom and, you know, telehealth all came into play um, and remote work came into play, it created a kind of a culture of convenience, but definitely a disconnect. And there was a huge decline. I'm sure Frank can attest to this as well. There was a huge decline in follow-up and participation and success rates because you know different families work at different speeds and accountability factors sustainability factors come into play and if you know you get an intake versus someone you have been working with and maintaining for six months to a year it really affects whether or not they're really able or willing to be in a space to handle that on their own or to even answer a phone call versus, you know, being with them in their home or being with them at um, an agency offering that support. Oh, absolutely. It definitely requires some some reimagining. And, and, and that's why I like to, you know, give everyone grace and, and, and understanding. You guys have spoke to this a lot about empathy, consideration um, and, and understanding, because, you know, we haven't experienced this before. Um, as a society, as as a, as a culture, and each day, you know, over the past, you know, several months, over a year, you know, presents different situations. And as we venture forward, as Frank said, it, it takes all of us together. We we can get through this, but we have to keep communicating. We need to keep the lines of communication open. And that's what this series on COVID that I've, I've been conducting is about just communicating, you know, allowing people to hear different perspectives, allowing people to send in emails and talk about it so that we can better understand how it works best for all. Uh, you guys have both brought up some very, very uh, valid points and some very useful information. I'm sure our listeners are appreci- going to appreciate this. I want to give just one last opportunity to each of you. If you if you have closing remarks um, to share and, and if not, it's OK. So I'll start with you, Frank. Oh, man, just everybody, if, if you're stressing out, uh, dealing with COVID, if it's causing any type of mental health issues like depression, anxiety or dealing with anything else, don't be too ashamed or to reach out for help. Uh, that's what we need to do is stick together and not make people feel bad because they have uh, contracted COVID, are they dealing with the with the uh, results of just being in the area of a pandemic? So, if people are feeling depressed or dealing with any type of thing that could be considered mental health, or even dealing with hardship as far as finance, what can lead into mental health? Just reach out, try to Google, or reach out for help. Communicate. Don't just try to hold everything in because we didn't really go into uh, discussing the suicide rates during COVID and people that are just really at home stressed out. As far as and we have to understand our children, if they that they are expressing that they feel a certain way, take them serious. And especially in different ethnic background groups, that we look at therapy as being a negative thing. And we don't really respect some of the things that our children say. Take them serious before it's too late. And we don't want to be at the end of this uh, having regrets what we could have done better. So let's just uh, reach out for help and let's just try to get through this together. Make sure you guys uh, just respect everybody's views and try to help before you try to hurt. If you, everybody can... Um, help another person just by just by listening sometimes just be quiet listen and if they ask you uh just try to support them in any type of way possible well put well put andrea any last remarks for you um i'd have to just say everything he said times 10 um i'm i'm really big on communication so i would really just like to emphasize that as well that it's not really about who's right or who's wrong or where it came from or the conspiracy aspect of it as as entertaining and as you know informative as it can seem it's we're here now we're in the moment now together we're all equal and no matter what your community no matter what your culture no matter what your you know status socioeconomic status is 
it's about how we're going to get through this together. And the number one way to do that is to communicate and empathize and really just care for another human being. Um, I just want to say thank you to every first responder, every essential worker, whether it's a grocery store worker, whether you're in the hospital, whether you're wherever you are, all over the spectrum. I just want to give a huge thank you because you guys are what is push, are pushing our country moving forward. So you guys are the backbone, and I really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, well said. Yes, it, it was indeed. I, I just I appreciate again both of you for coming on to the show to to share your your expertise and insights and and your personal thoughts with with our audience. That's very important. I know they're going to appreciate it. Um, I very much appreciate it. And and I would say again to to reemphasize what was said here. Reach out, communicate. You know, no one needs to suffer in silence. Um, Plenty of the schools have great information on their websites um, for COVID protocols or access for help um, within your state. Check out your state websites, um, Center for Disease Control, local health departments, family, friends, or if anything else, email us. You know, we'll we'll direct you to to resources that, that we know of. And again, that email is let's chew the gum at Gmail dot com. We thank you so much for listening. And, and I'm going to end this with something my father uh, heard my father say, I think, on his voicemail. And he would always end it with be kind to yourself, be kind to others, and life will surely be kind to you. So thank you so much. And remember, we always have something. Oh.